Well, welcome everybody. My name is Andrew. I don't know everybody for sure. We're a lot of new folks here. So um, as Ryan said, we got a newcomer's lunch next week. And um, I'm on the leadership team here for Midtown. So it's good to be with you. I think just calling out something that is... Uh, I think uh, interesting is this is a super weird time <laughs> to launch a church. Uh, not only I think is it a weird time to launch a church in general, but like I, I think for Midtown, we're on launch 2.0. So some of you know, we launched five weeks uh, before the pandemic. We've been online. We've still been gathered, but we're not physical, don't have kids, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so this is launch 2.0. We're at week 12. Woo! Uh, yeah. Um, but it's a super weird time to launch a church. And I think there's a couple things, like, right, you have COVID and the implications of COVID. So just, like, what does that mean for a gathered space? That's one. Uh, I think there's just a cultural, like, weirdness that this is a time and place. Actually, I got a text during the service about a bee study that said a lot of people are just de-affiliating themselves with churches, right? Like, there's an exit out of the church, so that's there. Uh, and then I think we're coming out of this pandemic, like, all of us are different people. Uh, and I think that's just a reality, like coming to this space. Um, as I've talked to people that are a part of this or even broader outside of Midtown, what I hear is like three things. Uh, one, we're excited. Like I'm pumped to be in a gathered community. Like this is just fun. I've missed it. For some of you, you get energy off new people and new spaces. So you're, you're just excited. Uh, there's another crew that's just tired, <laughs> just like tired in life, uh, exhausted. Like you know you should be plugged in. Um, you know you need to find a community, but you just, man, it's just like, it's serious. Um, uh, I think about my sister-in-law, Kim, who actually has insomnia. It's like literally tired, right? Like we're just, we're tired as a people right now. And there's another, uh, another folk uh, that are just, uh, I would say we've been radicalized. Um, the, the pandemic, you think about the pandemic, George Floyd, justice issues, you know, how did your church handle masks and vaccines? Um, you had the election. Uh, so we're just divided. And like, we literally come to this space at a very different person. Like, I've been, sh I've been shifted over the last year. I have a new set of eyes and a new set of awareness. Um, and so I think that's like a really interesting place to be as we gather. Like, and it's just good to call that out. And then um, I think personally, too, we all bring, like, hopes and expectations to this space. So you, many of us have church experience, not all of us. Um, and, I, like, I have hopes and expectations for this place. I, I want, as a leader and, and as part of the leadership team here, like, I hope Midtown is a place that isn't fighting the culture wars, but is through service and humility modeling Christ. I hope Midtown is a place um, that is diverse ethnically, socially, class, uh, and even by age. I hope for that. Um, I hope for a Midtown to be a place that is rooted in like deep practices of Christianity. Uh, Christianity wasn't invented the last hundred years. Like we have 2,000 years of church history of saints that have gone before us and modeled how do you stay Christian. So a deeply rooted spirituality. Um, and as we come to this space, you bring your stuff. You bring your hopes, your dreams, your expectations. Uh, and just to be real... Like, some of them are going to happen, I think. Like, I really, I'm hopeful. Some of those things are going to happen. Uh, the reality, too, is, like, some of them aren't. And, like, it's, that sucks. Like, some of those things just are never going to happen. Um, and so I think as we come to this text, um, we're wrapping up James. And James is in a similar space, right? You think of James is probably the first epistle written. He's writing to an early church of Christians that are now figuring out what does it look like to actually, like, do church together? 
What does that actually mean? Um, and you have a group of folks that have become Christian since Jesus left, and they're pumped. They're excited. They're ready. Uh, and then you've got another crew that was waiting. They, they're like, I thought Jesus was coming next week. Um, it's been like five years. I think I'm done. Like, I, I'm on the edge. And you see James addressing this bitterness and hostility that exists. Like, people are just cutting each other down. There's, gr- there's frustration and there's anger. Uh, and so the church has been here before. Our cultural moment is unique in many ways. And then it's also not unique at all. Like, the church has been here. Uh, and so the word from James today, I think, is pretty relevant for us. Um, the uh, first slide up is, is I think, what I want to walk away is, like, what is our, our overall hanger for today? It is that James, as he's ending this passage, he's going to talk about prayer and patience. But what he's getting after is that the slow, steady formation happens in this body. And that is what makes us like Christ. You can't do this thing on your own. Like, we are made to do this in community. Um, he's going to hit on prayer and patience as those main things, but really I think that's our, our takeaway for today. Um, we need the slow, steady formation of the gathered body to be like Christ. Um, so if you want to open with me, if you have your Bibles, we'll also put it up here on the screen. Uh, we're going to get into uh, James 5, 7 through 12. So James 5, 7 through 12. All right, so we'll have it up there and read with me. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn, springs, and rain. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord is coming near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters... As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count those blessed who have been preserved. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So James is coming back here, right? Uh, if you remember, we started James, right? Chapter 1. What does he say? Consider it joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through trials. Trials create perseverance, and perseverance creates a mature faith. So James is like sandwiching his letter with these two things, right? He's come back around to patience and saying, oh, remember, like I know you guys are anxious here. You guys are waiting. Like be patient. Uh, he is calling them uh, to this idea of patience. Uh, in verse 7 there, and, and uh, on slide 5, uh, you see again the reminder and an image. So here in verse 7, he's giving an image, James is, of see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So he's given us an image to grasp on. What, what does this uh, image say? Um, he's, that image is of, of uh, a farmer, right? That, that is... Uh, thought long and hard. The farmers thought long and hard. They said, what would be the most valuable crop I could have? Like, what would people buy? What's the market for this thing? What does my soil actually, like, allow me to do here? What, what is the quality of the soil? What kind of product would work here? They've planted it. They've tilled the soil. They've planted it. They've watered it. Um, and this farmer, uh, you know, the, the farmers, they're waiting for rain. 
like hoping for rain, praying for rain. Um, the farmer is waiting for, for that. Uh, some of you know I live next door, and this image resonates with me. Uh, I love farming analogies. I consider myself a little, a little bit of an urban farmer. Um, I have 35, 34 trees next door. Um, so over three years, planted a bunch of trees, um, and uh, I am like this farmer. So three years, they're still little. Some are getting big. Uh, this year I got some fruit, not a lot, but some. And I'm waiting patiently. I am excited. Uh, I dream of the day where like throughout the year I go out and I can get a uh, flavor grenade pluot or I can get a tango mandarin or uh, what's another one? A blackjack fig. I can like go out and just walk around my yard and pick stuff. Uh, but this is, this is for me, it's a hobby, right? Like it's just a recreational activity. Um, this farmer, he or she is waiting with uh, a sense of hope, right? They're waiting and excited about what will come from these trees. Uh, but there's also a bit of a desperation. Uh, there's a bit of a, if this doesn't come through, like, how am I going to provide for my family? Like, how are we going to put bread on the table? Uh, so there's a mix of hope. And you look at a field like this, right? Uh, we don't have, we have jib irrigation. I just like, I got a, a thing on a Wi-Fi timer. It just kicks on and goes. Uh, this is a land with cut-in water lanes and channels, but hoping for either an overflowing river or rain that would come in and settle around these trees in a dry and barren landscape, hope and expectation, and on the other end, like a real sense of desperation. Um, and I think that's a weighty image that, that uh, James is giving to us. He's giving us uh, an, an image of hope and, and expectation. Um, and again, back to us. So as we think about Midtown, as we think about this moment right now, uh, we're a people that are waiting with hope and expectation and a little bit of desperation uh, James is inviting us as a people to be patient together, uh, inviting us as a church to be patient together. Um, if I could name a couple things, what would that would look like? Uh, he's waiting, for, I think our patience for us as a gathered community, like we need to be patient to let Midtown become a thing. Like right now our identity just isn't formed. A lot of us are coming here and like, man, I don't know if I feel connected yet. Like I don't know if this is it yet. Uh, and that's okay. Let's just name that, right? That's a thing. Um, but this community takes time to build. Like, we got to wait with patience. We got to gather regularly together and to know, oh yeah, not just what does it say on the website or when Ryan talks about it, but like, what does it actually feel like? What does Midtown feel like? So we wait patiently for that. Um, I think, you know, I'd probably speak of myself here. I work with the church a lot, the Big C Church. I got to be more patient for God to do its work in the Big C Church. Like, I could be pretty disillusioned and grumpy uh, at times. And there's a patience that I think James is inviting me into and us into of, like, are we patient for what God is doing in the larger church? This is a cultural moment where it feels like things are ripping apart. Uh, there's a fracturing in the evangelical world especially. Uh, and it, I feel that, but i got to be patient. Um, and then some of us all, right, we have things we're, we're patient for in our, impatient for in our own life. I'm waiting for myself to change. I'm waiting for my character to, to evolve. Like, I'm frustrated with where I'm at in my life, in my family, in my job. Like, I just don't have patience. Or maybe it's the person you don't have patience for. Uh, like, you're waiting for them to change. <laughs> like, let's go. Come on. Like, I've been waiting long enough, mom or dad or, or, or spouse. Like, I've been waiting long enough for you to change. It's time. Uh, and I think this invitation, this farmer image, and what James is doing is saying, as a gathered people, man, we got to slow down. Like, we got to have patience. Um, Eugene Peterson, uh, in his book, a really, really, really good book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, he's writing, reflecting on years and years, decades of ministry, and he's reflecting on uh, the life, the spiritual life. 
And his image of it is a long obedience in the same direction. Just sticking a course with Jesus and walking it out, right? He says there is a great market for religious experience in our world. So we feel that. We're in Tower. Tower is like such a spiritual place. Uh, There's a great market for religious experience. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Such a good word. Little enthusiasm for patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship. James is inviting us into this, right? He's challenging us to be patient, to be formed together as a body of Christ. Uh, I came across this term. I'm no uh, psychologist or philosopher, uh, but I came across this term this week that really struck me even as I was preparing. It's called liquid modernity. Um, Zygmunt Bauman uh, wrote about this, and he, he talked about this idea of we live in an age of constant change and mobility in our relationships, our identities, and even our economy. And so we're, we're in a liquid society. Things are moving and shifting so fast. And what he's con- contrasting it to is modernity, which modernity is like uh, the big institutions. So right now, we distrust big institutions, right? Like, in COVID, is even highlighted, we don't even trust the medical establishment. Do- doctors and science used to be our friend, and now, now parts of our community are like, we don't trust it. Um, so even if you think about the church community, right? If you were Christian, and uh, you were here in Fresno even 80 years ago, if you said you're a Christian, the next question is going to be, what kind? They're going to figure out, are you Catholic? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Baptist? Like, what's the big institution you're attached to? What's the big organization you're attached to? Or you think about your family dynamic. It would matter who your grandpa is, who your grandma is, who your mom or your dad is. Like, that was a reflection of you. Uh, You were attached to something else outside of you. Uh, Or even in our workplace, the goal was to get, like, uh, I was trying to think of who's a company, but, like, you want to get at Procter & Gamble or some big corporation, you want to work there for decades and get your pension. Like, you could be attached to a successful, thriving, big institution. Man, you won. Um, now it's like you stay at a job for five years, you're like, oh, I've been there a long time, huh? How's that going? Um, and so that is, we're in a liquid state, right? We've moved from like solid institutions to I don't trust them and I am my own unique individual. Uh, he says, we moved from pilgrims in search of deep meaning to tourists in search of multiple fleeting social experiences. And I think, I think again, James has a word for us, uh, patience. Like we don't like that. I, I want to move out of spaces, in and out of spaces that I like. I can change my identity. I can change the things I'm attached to if they don't represent me anymore. So what, did, what does this do to our culture? Um, I was trying to, uh, you know, it creates this sense that like we move in and out of hobbies and passions. Even my urban garden. Urban gardening is a thing, right? Like it, it's a thing that some people are into. I'm into it. Uh, van life. We can be like van life people. We're going to travel around and like be these like wandering souls um, ex-evangelicals or plant moms and dads, uh, you could be into, uh, roller skating's really cool now, I guess. So, uh, somehow, I don't believe it. I refuse to believe it. Um, but we could be into justice and justice advocacy, right? It's a trend or a topic that we can move in and out of. We can identify ourselves with until we don't like it anymore. And then we shift to the next thing. Uh, and to be real, we do this now with church, right? Like, some of us are here going like, I don't know, I don't know. We'll see what how Midtown works. Like, is it my thing? I don't know. Um, until Ryan does something I don't like. 
which he will. <laughs> um, but we don't have patience. We just don't. And I think it's worth calling out, we are shaped by our culture. That's all I'm trying to do here is we are so shaped by the environment we sit in. So when we have these thoughts of impatience, we just got to recognize, like, maybe, maybe it's, I'm a product of a culture. Like, maybe I need to step out into a larger picture. Uh, maybe I need the slow, spiritual-forming environment of a church body. Um, I have a funny example from my church world experience. Um, some of you know I was a pastor at the well. I was there for about eight years. And uh, I was there when the well took over and merged with the Cross Church. Uh, so it's now the Fig Garden Campus. And uh, the, the Cross Church was a Lutheran church that started in 1852 in Fresno. Uh, when you're driving like the 99th South, you'll see a little gold dome past downtown. That was the original Cross Church. Started by a Russian pastor who came over and planted this thing. Again, planted a Lutheran church. So all the Lutherans in town could go to this Lutheran church. That's literally how you know, it got started. Uh, 85 members, first, first gathering. Um, so the well and the cross merge, and uh, we had some folks that stuck it out. Obviously, they're coming from a very different culture, right? Um, and one of those couples is Sharon and Larry Crabtree. Um, and Sharon is like your, your just classic grandma, a little poofy hair, kind of the moo-moo dress thing. Uh, she does kids, works with kids ministry every Sunday. Uh, Larry is suspenders all the time. Every, I don't think I've ever seen him without suspenders. Those big rim glasses. Outside of church, he just kind of sits in the corner. And, you know, if you come up to him, you can talk to him. But he's just going to sit there. And uh, they sit in the same spot, like right, right where the Fowlers are. In church, I could see them sitting there. They're right there. And if you probably sat in their seat, they'd come up and be like, this is our seat. Just so, just so you know, like, this is our seat. Uh, we've sat here for 50 years. Um, and then behind on the, on the wall, there was a, a cross that was a, a LED backlit cross. And you have to turn it on, though, manually. So, like, every Sunday, if that thing wasn't on, uh, you're going to get an earful from the crab trees, like, hey, make sure to turn that thing on. Um, and so they are just consistent. Uh, one time we were talking, and I think it came over from how loud the music was that they wanted to see if we could turn it down. But they came over and talked to me, and, uh, and they said, <laughs> they just looked at me straight in the eyes and just said, we were here before you, we're going to be here after you. <laughs> Just dead solid. They're like, if another church comes here, we will be here. We are going to die here. I was just like, dang, level it up. Uh, but you think about liquid modernity. Is that liquid? No. That thing is solid, right? They, I, I don't, literally don't have a frame for a world in which I would value a physical building um, more than the church that was there. But that is how solid they were. That is the generation and the culture that they're there. We will die in this building was their frame. Um, that's a patience. Like there's something about that that I like just madly respect. So I'm like, I am not that. I am so uh, blown by my desires and my, and my whims. And, and, and I think, <laughs> again, uh, a silly analogy, but a way, again, of looking at the patience that James is moving us towards, a deep-rooted patience uh, in our life. And I think uh, for us, and again for Midtown, uh, uh, James says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Uh, my last kind of piece here on the patience uh, piece is, uh, as I want to put up, what, what, is the, what is the drive? What's the energy? How do you keep that patience? James throws in in verse 11, he says, the Lord is full of mercy and compassion. Compassion and mercy. The, the ability we have to keep patient, to be people that are formed by a body of people and stick with it, man, that comes from the Lord. 
That comes from his character. It is not my character, right? I already said that. It's not the character I have that's able to stick in. It's, it's that I have a God who walks with me. I have a God who understands what I'm feeling. I have a God who knows me and is mercifully walking with me uh, through the things I'm impatient in my life, the things that I just want to change in me, the things I want to change in others. When I can reflect on I, that, is the, that is the type of God we follow, that allows me to be more patient. Uh, let's move to the, the last section. Uh, so we talked about patience, and then I mentioned we're going to talk about prayer. Um, so in, in the, let's go ahead and read verse uh, 13 to 20. So let's finish up this section on prayer. Uh, you see James now, again, this is, I know, I encourage you to notice the communal practice of this. So this is not an individualistic thing. Again, he's inviting us to a corporate experience. Uh, he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if you should wander from the truth and someone should bring back that person, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So Paul, uh, James throws in a ton of things there. <laughs> I love James. It's just like Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He's just going to go topic after topic after topic. It's just direct. He just, do this, do this, do this. Uh, and I would think he's putting this all under the umbrella of prayer. It kind of reads that way, right? Pray at all times would be his big umbrella. He says, pray when you're low. Pray when you feel good. Pray when you're sick. Pray like Elijah. Pray uh, for confession of your sins. Pray uh, to bring somebody back from the body of Christ. So he's, he's throwing this all under uh, this main idea. Um, Tish Harrison Warren has a quote in a really great book as well called Prayer in the Night. And she says, for most of church history, Christians understood prayer not primarily as a means of self-expression or as an individual conversation with the divine, but as an inherited way of approaching God a way to wade into the ongoing stream of the church's communion with him. And that's what James is doing, right? These aren't individual expressions of faith. These are communal ways to keep prayer the center of our life, to pray as we're moving through the day and we have a high experience, pray as we go through the day and have a low experience, pray as the day as you wrestle with your doubts or you're in a community of folks that are wrestling with doubts. Pray when you're sick. Uh, he's inviting us to experience communion with God to hold each other dear. She also says this. She says, faith, I've come to believe, is more craft than feeling. And prayer is our chief practice in that craft. And so as we pray, we, we have to act on it. Like, I could just teach a sermon on prayer, or like, we could pray <laughs> together. Like, we could practice doing what, what he's saying here. Uh, and we're going to do that, actually, today. So that's how we're going to end our time. I want to hit a little bit on some of these elements, but we're actually going to practice. Like, what does it mean to pray for one another? What does it mean to confess our sins uh, and to be known and to give those over to God? Uh, so we're going to practice that element of confession. Uh, verse 16, I think I have it up there again. Yeah. 
So the, the word from James is, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is inviting us to pray. He's inviting us to confess our sins. Uh, confession was one of those habits that, like, based on probably James and other folks, uh, the early church started practicing in the first century. It was, it was a necessary and part of the communion experience. As you went to the table, you recognized that's why we go to the table. We go to the table because we have a Savior who loved us and died for our sins. And we remember those sins together as a, as a community. And so James uh, is inviting the church to practice confession together. Um, what he does there in that verse 16 is he, uh, or I found another translation of that verse. Uh, they said this, you should get into the habit of admitting your sins to one another. Um, and I think that's something we just like don't do often at church. I think a little bit of it is it's like super awkward and how do you do that? The Catholic Church has their own means and practices, right? Um, but even in, like I meet with a group of guys on Monday morning, it's just four of us. Dang, it's so hard to confess our sins to one another. Like the righteousness that, that I feel like I lose and the vulnerability that I have as I confess something. Uh, whether it's with my wife, it's against somebody else, it's something I'm thinking or feeling. Like it's so hard to do. Uh, but like the church is the place that we should embrace confession. We come to church recognizing we need God. Uh, Rich Mullen said this. I thought it was pretty funny and good. Uh, he said, I never understand why going to church has made you a hypocrite. Because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all those perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself and to your family, to the people you pass on the way there and the people that greet you, that you don't have it all together, that you need their support, that you need their direction, you need some accountability, and you need some help. And so this idea of confession, I think, is actually an invitation into practicing uh, patience. Like patience in our lives for the things that are broken. Patience in our lives for the things that we want to change in ourselves and in others. Like sometimes the thing I need to confess is like how freaking bitter I am or angry I am against somebody because they're not changing. They're not doing the things I want them to do, right? It's the judgment of my lack of impatience. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden being like, God, I got this. Like, I don't want to go your way. I don't want to do your process. Uh, I, I got this. I got the timing on this. Uh, and so confession is, is that act. So here's how we're going to step into that. You're going to come up. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, that would be funny uh, and bad and terrible. And that's why we don't like church. Um, but uh, here's what we're going to do. You got a piece of paper on, your, on, on the floor. So grab that. You got paper and a pen. So this is an act of, of faith and solidarity with each other. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to take about a minute. And it'll just be in silence. And uh, I know uh, even as I mention the word confession, you're like, gulp. Like, I know the thing. <laughs> like, I feel it. We, we, know, we know where we're broken and need God's healing and forgiveness. We know the areas of our life. We focus on the areas of our life where, where we're missing it. Um, I'm an Enneagram one, so like my whole life is what's broken. Uh, I just see everything through the lens of what's broken. Um, and in this act, what I want you to do is you're going to write something you want to confess. Uh, you're going to write that on the piece of paper. You're going to fold it up. And then after about a minute or so, we're going to pass them, I think, probably to the outside. We'll uh, pass them to the person on the edge. We're going to put them in a bucket. And then we're going to switch sides, mix them all up. You're going to get somebody else's confession. 
Uh, don't put your name on it unless you're bold or brave. Um, you can always do that. Um, but don't put your name on it. This is just your act of just recognizing, Lord, what do you want me to bring to others? What could I lift up to uh, have be prayed for? Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll move into the time of worship where you can actually just sit there and pray. Pray for the person, pray for the brother or sister that you don't know um, and how you could lift them up, how you could pray for their healing, how you could pray for their new life and transformation. Pray for patience, that they would grow to be spiritually formed in that slow, steady way of Christ. All right? So pretty easy. Write it on your confession. I'll come back up, and then we'll pass those to the edges and enter a time of worship and prayer. So I'll give you a minute of silence. Thank you.